Military Veterans in Journalism proudly presents Sword and Pen. Welcome to another episode of Sword and Pen, a monthly military veterans and journalism podcast dedicated to inspiring and educating our MVJ members. I am your host, Lori King, and I thank you for tuning in during our first show in 2023. It's going to be another great year of interviews with military veterans and working journalists, and I'm excited to kick it off with Marine Corps combat veteran Ben Kessling, one of our top 10 MVJ veterans and journalism winners of 2022. Hey, Lori. It's uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Like many of the guests on the show, Ben's military job wasn't in journalism. He was a Marine Corps infantry officer for six years, serving stints in Iraq and Afghanistan. Part of his job as a Marine Embassy Security Inspecting Officer was traveling to embassies throughout the Middle East, which exposed him to international news. He said that's when he realized news was this multi-varied, multi-faceted thing, and he felt that his military experience could inform the news, and he wanted to be a part of that. So, after getting out, he used his GI Bill to attend the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern, landed an internship at the Journal, and he's been there ever since. We are also going to dive into Ben's extensive coverage of the 82nd Airborne Division's Bravo Company, documented in his book, Bravo Company, an Afghanistan deployment and its aftermath, which went on sale November 1st. Thank you, Ben, for joining me on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks again. Uh, and thanks for that great introduction. I, I appreciate it. You're welcome. I first met you at MVJ's annual convention in Washington, D.C. in October. We were in the lobby of the venue and I saw you passing out these really cool souvenirs. They were little black pouches that included a pen and, and a hardbound notebook and a thumb drive. The Wall Street Journal was stamped on most of it. It is my favorite souvenir for sure. That's the uh, that's the recruiting swag bag that uh, that I bring around when I get to have the good fortune to be able to go out and talk to potential recruits for the Wall Street Journal, which is great. I think it's pretty cool. You are also holding your book. Before we get into your journalism career at the Journal, let's talk about that book. Could you please read a passage? Okay, so this is a this is a section about a soldier, Alan Thomas, who was uh, gravely wounded in in Afghanistan by a suicide bomber, and uh, Alan had to go back to Walter Reed and spend uh, spend a good deal of time recovering. And the book Bravo Company talks uh, Alan's stories woven throughout uh, throughout the book. But I want to read you a little bit from uh, from when Alan is recovering at Walter Reed, and his wife Danica is there with him. Danica wanted to be in the room with Alan, to sleep next to him, to crawl right into that hospital bed. He was, after all, her rock and protector, a man who went to war at six feet, three inches tall and 250 pounds. Now, he couldn't even take a shit on his own. Eventually, he was able to get around, move with a walker slowly, and then he could stand up and shuffle off to the bathroom. The indignities that a wounded man must suffer are legion. And though they seem, objectively speaking, to be embarrassments and insults to his very nature, they are not so. Wounds are the simple wages of war. They are what happens when a man pushes his entire stack of life's chips out on the table for a bet, to go where others dare not, and the Taliban croupier takes them all away from him. Alan's body and mind there at Walter Reed 
were the result of an upside down wager. But he was bold enough to make that bet, goddammit. And that's more than most can say for themselves. So what are we, mere bystanders at the casino, to think and feel after we see what happens to this sort of man? What are we to think of the night Alan went to sleep and the tubes and drain valves and wires connected to his body got all jumbled and tangled so that when he needed to go to the bathroom, he couldn't move? What are we to think of how he, Sergeant Alan Thomas of the 82nd Airborne, made an accident in his bed? This is not something Alan would ever have wanted to talk about. It's not something Danica ever wanted to talk about. And yet it happened. And it happened to others. It happened in the past and it will happen in the future because this is life and this is war and it's enraging and it's pathetic and it's noble and it's sad and it's tragic and it's life and all its glory and all its shame. It's life. It's life. It's life. A grown man messing his bed is something we should be forced to face unblinking. When we think of patriotism, it's not the Veterans Day parades, the Memorial Day celebrations, and the 4th of July backyard picnics we should focus on. Sure, all those things are well and good, but we should also be forced to think of Sergeant Alan Thomas and of the many noble warriors like him who come home from war to soil their hospital beds. For those closest to him, Alan wetting his bed was an embarrassment. For the rest of us, it was and will ever remain an attestation, an exemplification, and even a holy tribute. Do not look away from him and his apparent shame that this strong rock and steady timber of American youth should be cracked and broken and piss his bed is beyond what we can ever hope to understand about what it means to go to war. Just letting that sink in a little bit. Thank you. That was powerful. To combine your love of military and storytelling is a brilliant accomplishment. Thank you. Thanks. And it's just, it's just such a, um, it's such an honor, an infuriating thing to be able to tell these stories um, and to be able to tell, uh, to be able to tell the story of, of these men. And uh, they were all men at the time because it was 2009. Uh, the men of Bravo Company and those uh, in their orbit, and to realize that the um, just like with a black hole, once you get into the event horizon, you're inexorably sucked into the middle of it, and that's what war and the experience of serving in uniform does to those who serve and to many of those people around them. And I think that's such an important thing for uh, for me to tell, and for anybody out there who is a military veteran in journalism to recognize that it's their, it's their duty to bring those stories and that reality into the newsrooms in which they work. Can you tell us what triggered your need to write that devastating and very real story of loss and pain and honor and Purple Hearts? So I first met the men from Bravo Company um, about three years ago. I was covering a reunion they had. They, got, they had a reunion 10 years after their deployment, the deployment that I document in this book. And they came together as a pilot program from the VA uh, because the men from Bravo Company were considered extraordinary risk. Uh, they'd had some suicides, they had suicidal ideations, and there were some men who were having trouble, trouble adjusting 10 years after that deployment and for many of them 10 years after getting out of the military. So the VA brought them all back together uh, as a holistic reunion. And as 
you know, military unions have been happening since, since as long as there's been wars and military units. And the thing about this one that was different, though, is that it sought to bring everyone who is still in the still around from the company back together. And it brought them together in a way where they could share stories, but have support. So the VA sent counselors. So there was a support network there. There was structure to it. And in the wake of that, these men have stayed in touch and talked to each other. I wrote a story about it for the Wall Street Journal. And then after I, after the story came out, I realized there was a lot more to tell. And that was the impetus for, for writing the book. And I was uh, extraordinarily lucky to have the men, uh, the men of Bravo Company and those closest to them uh, open up and tell me their stories and share th these extraordinary portraits, just like the one about Alan Thomas at Walter Reed and uh, so many more like that. Once I realized that those, the men from Bravo Company were willing to talk to me about it and wanted to talk about it so that their story would, would be set down uh, and last and be enduring. I realized that that burden was uh, was something that I couldn't take lightly and had to carry through on. It's probably a little cathartic for them as well. Are they getting a hold of you? What is their reaction to this book? It was cathartic for for many of them, I think, and it was cathartic for me to be able to write this. Um, and the reaction has been it's been good from them for the most part. There are some who um, some men from Bravo Company who. Um, or not are not thrilled with the book, but that's the way it is whenever you write anything. But for for many of those who are in the book and for those around them, it, um, it I think it it truthfully and um, with fidelity represents the experience, not just of combat, but of what it's like to want to serve, of what it's like to have those first few months in uniform as you're waiting to go on your first deployment what it's like to be on deployment, what it's like to come home and then to live with that and for the people around you with those issues, with fidelity. And I'm very happy to hear from other veterans who were never in the 82nd Airborne, uh, veterans from other eras who tell me that this makes them think more deeply about their own experience. I'm happy to hear from civilians who know nothing about the military and who would never in a million years pick up a military book to read, read this and say, I can't. I can't believe I made it to the end. I can't believe that I uh, that I that I finished a war book like this. But it gave me a, a, a renewed understanding of of what it means to to have a volunteer military and those who serve around me. So I think it it serves a lot of different populations, and that was one of the goals of the book, and something that that I'm proud of. Your book was just published, and you're probably preparing for a very busy schedule to promote it. But do you have another story that you feel like you need or you should tell, even if it's just a tiny seed growing in the back of your mind? Oh, I, I you know, I'm a, I'm a newspaper reporter. So I've always got uh, all these seeds, most of which never come to fruition. Uh, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm constantly trying to tell, trying to tell stories that I think are not only interesting and newsworthy, but are important to tell. One thing I, a story I had, I think it's been a year and a half or two years ago now, um, and this sort of illustrates your point is I hear from, I hear when you're, when you're talking to veterans and talking to the defense community, you you get stories all the time. You get story ideas and to decide which ones to write about is its own sort of uh, honor and duty. But a couple of years ago, I heard from um, someone who was trying to get uh, VA benefits 
for a wave, a woman who served in World War II, and she was having difficulties getting benefits, and she was um, she was getting up there in age and was having trouble uh, making food at home, and she needed benefits. So I thought by telling her story, it's an interesting story, and you know this is the sort of thing people need to know about, lawmakers need to know about, policymakers need to know about, and um, we told her story and pretty soon she was able to get benefits as she as she rightly deserved uh and it was that's the sort of um yeah, that's the sort of thing that I've always always want to tell uh is tell those stories and to have uh some sort of a, an end some sort of a benefit at the end whether it's enlightening a reader in as enlightening a reader with uh, with stories they may not have heard of before uh with telling about systemic or uh, organizational problems that need to be highlighted and fixed, uh, or just uh, telling telling a good story that will um, will resonate with people. Let's talk about MVJ for a moment. You first heard about MVJ around the time it was launched, a little over three years ago. You were already working at the journal. You mentioned to me that you really wanted to be a part of the MVJ network because of its mission to help veterans become journalists. Now is a good time to mention that you are doing a webinar on long-form journalism with our MVJ president, Russell Midori, on January 12th from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Can you tell us what you'll be chatting about? The link to that webinar will be available in the anchor description for this podcast and on Twitter, but by the time many people listen to this, um, they could probably hear the recording. What are you going to address in that webinar? I intend, and I think Russell intends for it to be a, a sort of a wide ranging conversation on how how to make how to make long form journalism happen, how to come up with ideas, how to talk about them, how to focus them, how to tell them, and how to get them told. Right, because that's a big part of being um, of being of of what MVJ wants to do is not only to learn how to tell stories, but to get them told because. Uh, you can't just tell a story in a vacuum, right? Like somebody has to be on the other end listening to it. And that's why it's so important to make sure that you get those stories into publications, uh, onto TV, onto the radio, into podcasts. Uh, and I think that there's this will be kind of a soup to nuts holistic, uh, soup, to, soup to nuts holistic conversation on on a lot of that. MVJ has certainly made an impact for so many veterans who transitioned out of the military and into journalism. It offers mentorships and fellowships and grants, all with the goal to get more journalists into newsrooms. Why do you think it's so important to diversify newsrooms with military veterans? It's important for a number of reasons to, to get military veterans into newsrooms. One is just the knowledge base that veterans bring on, on a number of topics. So even just knowing knowing how firearms work, how uh, military units are organized, that there is such a diversity of of organization, of bureaucracy, of terminology that happens in anything uh, anything surrounding war. Um, I th I think it's covering defense and knowing how the defense world works and the veterans world works is is as complex as war itself, and to have veterans who are already uh, conversant in that in newsrooms is so important. Now, that's not to say that I think that folks from MVJ uh, and uh, and people who are coming out of the military and trying to get into newsrooms need to cover defense. I'm just saying there's there's one clear you know clear path and clear benefit that comes from that. Um, I think that having newsrooms with veterans 
gives a particular viewpoint and a particular, um, I don't know, mindset or approach to things that is so important uh, to to know to know what it is like to uh, to to be deployed to to be uh, to be in a a very difficult training environment to go through what you have to go through in the military. I think that a lot of that mindset can help inform uh, inform editorial decisions. And I also think it can do a lot to talk when you're out talking to folks on the ground, um, having that military background and the, to be able to say to a source, Oh yeah, Hey, I was in, I was in XYZ or I served in blah, 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 or, Oh Yeah. I was there about the same time you were. It's really like a skeleton key in a lot, a lot of ways to talk to communities and uh, to get people to open up. And I think that there's a way to leverage that in many ways um, that that newsrooms should take advantage of. You know, both from an employing, you know, employing a diversity of voices standpoint, but also it's just good business um, to have to have folks who have that who have that ability to access different communities and have that knowledge sort of knowledge base built in when they come out of when they come out of the military and go into go into journalism i mean it's just good editorial sense to have to have people like that around you are also involved with uh, a mentorship program for veterans at your newspaper the journal helping military veterans break into journalism or thrive in a newsroom once they are there seems to be a worthy cause that you have been committed to what drives you to make that commitment yeah, so I, um, I I did a mentorship for uh, for particularly for military veterans getting into getting into newsrooms, uh, and then recently I've been doing just mentorship tour for uh, for folks who are doing internships at the Journal, and I think that I mean I would not have I would not have made it I would not have made it to this point if it weren't for mentors and people who wanted to smooth the path or to teach me the the way to get in or just to help me uh, help me learn to to advocate for myself uh in in the newsroom or uh, in in this field and i think it's so important to to make sure that happens for the for the next generation or even i mean frankly this generation like there are a lot of people who uh, we there are a lot of uh, veterans in the newsroom who we, you know we talk to each other during the times when we were coming up in our careers and now we're um we're all in different spots now at different news organizations um but it's i mean it's much like being when we were in the military you were responsible for 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 training and leading those people coming up behind you, just as the folks in front of you were responsible for training and leading you. And I think that that carries over and is such an important thing for us not to forget and to care to carry on. And I think it's something that a lot of a lot of veterans in the newsroom who I who I talk to and know, want to do that, they want to carry on that mission, that sense of mission that they had when they were in uniform. So I said earlier that you described the news as a multivaried, multifaceted thing, and that when you were still active duty, it occurred to you that your experience as a military veteran could inform the news. Wanting to be a part of the storytelling process, you got out and went to J school at Medill. That's when you landed an internship at the Journal. There is no doubt internships are so vital for two reasons, gaining practical experience on the job, and getting hired full-time by the company you interned at. We all go into journalism, you know, different paths. Um, I was a journalist all 21 years in the military. 
I got out, became a photographer. Your journalism experience was limited. You were a photographer at a, at a small newspaper. Do you think that experience sort of like, and they planted the seed a long, long, long time ago to get into journalism that never left you? Because you did work at a newspaper before you even went into the military. Yeah, when I was uh, very young, coming out of well, between between uh, high school and college, I was a, a freelance photographer for a um, newspaper in Lexington, Kentucky. And um, it was a great experience, but I never expected to do anything more with it, uh, frankly. And went to college, went to grad school, joined the Marine Corps, was there for six years, then went to went to Medill at Northwestern um, because when I was in the Marine Corps, as, uh, as you've said, I sort of realized that there were stories to be told and I felt like I could be a part of that storytelling process. Uh, plus for anybody who's listening out there who's getting out and deciding what to do, that GI Bill is a heck of a, heck of a thing and you should take advantage of it. And it's a great way to, to do something that maybe you never would have thought about doing or couldn't afford to do, frankly. Uh, there's no way I would have chosen to go back to grad school if it wouldn't have been for the GI Bill when I got out of the Marine Corps. And I think maybe that seed was there all along. It was something I I wanted to do, but it's not something I actively wanted to do. I mean, I, was, uh, I didn't do anything journalism related when I was in the Marine Corps. I was an infantry officer. But once I got out, um, I realized... Uh, I realized the power of my background. I realized the power of what, what kind of stories, what kind of connections I could make, I could have. And I'm, I'm grateful to, to folks who, who helped me along the way, understand that and, and realize that. And I think it's one of the great things that military veterans and journalism does. And one of the reasons why I wanted to get involved with it very early on is because that is, um, I mean, it's a, a, an organization whose entire entire makeup, you know, the entire mission is to make sure that military veterans can can learn how to thrive in this field. And it's uh, it's a comp, you know, compact enough and a collegial organization. It's fantastic. I mean, it, really, anyone who I've who I've interacted with uh, at MVJ is more than happy to talk at almost any time about about the field and about ways to to be successful not only in you know i mean i'm i'm right for a newspaper um but not only how to how to succeed in in finding a way into into the newspaper world but just writing and the creative fields generally and it's it's just such there's just such a great mission with with mbj and i'm 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 very glad that to be a part of it and i hope that everybody takes advantage uh takes advantage of the fact that it's there and it's one of the great things about veterans is a lot of times they will be bold enough to step up and ask for um to step up and ask questions and that's you know, there are so many of us who are here to, to help answer those. And, you know, we have lots of questions ourselves and hopefully the, the, um, the collegial nature of, of things can help get those questions answered. We are a pretty bold lot. <laughs> um, let's lighten the mood for a moment. So this is a little known fact that I think is very interesting. You were a two day Jeopardy champion. It was during season 21, back in 2005, on the J Archive website, you wrote this, quote, 
Hey, Lexington, I'm Ben Kessling. Tune into Jeopardy to see if I can bring some serious green back to the bluegrass state. Oh my End gosh, quotes. that's so bad. That's so bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so bad. I can't. Oh, I, can't. I love that quote. Uh, it, yeah, though it, it's. Uh, I recommend everybody try out for Jeopardy if you like Jeopardy because you never know if you might get on uh, the show. And uh, it was, yeah, it, it was, it was really. <laughs> it was really indicative of sort of the mindset that um, that I think is 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 very helpful for um, a good journalist to have. Right? Is one thing that Jeopardy always they they always say is it's trivia, but it's not trivial. Right? So it's not like the the facts that come out in Jeopardy questions aren't these like one off things that are kind of like uh, have no anchor in reality. Like you need to know something about the the subject to get that question correct. And I think that's such a helpful thing for um, for journalists to always want to be curious, curious in in ways that they can uh, they can have conversation. I mean, to be good at Jeopardy, you have to have a wide knowledge base and to be able to to talk about these things and have curiosity and um, to always want to learn a little bit more about something. And I think that that's a uh, an excellent trait for for any journalist to have and the really good journalists i know even if their beat is x they are still looking at y or figuring out how z connects to uh, to x and y in weird ways you know like if you're a defense reporter figuring out the way that oh i don't know like um figuring out the way that uh, housing and urban development fits into the department of defense and uh or figuring out the way the state department interacts with the defense department or department of the interior or whatever like knowing these connections and seeking out answers to to these questions uh and trying to find uh i don't know for lack of a better word trying to find trivia out there um, is a is a very useful thing well in jeopardy you have to actually retain that information and <laughs> Right. There are people like me who have a, a DOS computer brain where it takes me 5,000 hours to come up with the answer. I have to Google it. <laughs> so no, I, I would not do very well on Jeopardy. So we know now that you won more than $27,000. That's, That's right. a lot of green for a young lad from <laughs> a bluegrass state. I got to know though, did you go to Disney World? No, no. Um, well, I was so disappointed at the end. Okay, so um, I have to say that it was to my great, uh, to my great chagrin that I lost, um, really because I did not answer in the form of a question. One of them, yeah. So I had a daily double, got it right, but didn't answer in a form of a question. It was all downhill from there. So it was sort of an ignominious end to, uh, yeah, to to the time on the show. <laughs> Do you remember that question? Yeah, it was the two-word Latin term for uh, in the place of origin, in situ, you know, and uh, <laughs> and say what is so such is life. Lesson: oh take your time, you know, like slow is smooth and smooth is fast, and check all your facts before you, uh, you know, before you hit before you publish it. So, well, that about wraps up another episode of the Sword and Pen. But before we go, our listeners and myself might want to know how you juggle your busy schedule. Not only are you a working journalist and an accomplished author, you're also a father of four young children ages six, five, three, and one. I'm sure there are a lot of parents listening to this who could use some advice on being a very busy working parent. How do you do it? 
Well, first of all, it's not me, right? It's it's my wife and I. Like that's how that's how it gets done. Um, and, Good answer. <laughs> but it's uh, you know there's this uh, this truism that my uh, that my wife and I both subscribe to, which is if you want if you want to get something done, ask the busiest person you know, because a busy person is someone who is getting stuff done. Uh, and I think that just like, uh, man, just like in the military, there's just always, there's always more to do and stuff to do. And you're felt like you never going to catch up and never, never possibly accomplish the tasks that, that were set in front of you. Um, but you did your best. <laughs> and when you got four kids, it's just, uh, it's always crazy. And, uh, it, it, um, there's very, very little downtime. Uh, so it's mostly just, uh, constantly moving. I think constantly, constantly moving and dealing, dealing with these, these, these kids and, um, and having a fantastic team, you know, my, uh, having a great, a great partner and a great spouse makes all the difference and good, you know, good family, good friends, um, and cultivate the networks around you because it, you know, just like in the military, having that network around you is, uh, those folks will, your teammates will pick you up when you're, uh, when you're in a bind. And, you know, if I kid gets sick or something has to go to the doctor, we know that there's, uh, we've got f good friends, uh, who can rely on us and we can rely on them to drop the kid off. And there's just, you know, it's, we are our brothers and our sisters keepers. And, um, knowing that is a very important thing. Where do you call home these days? Where are you working out of? So um, I'm in. I'm based in Chicago. I cover. Uh, I cover the Midwest. Uh, I'm a general assignment reporter for the for the Journal. I'm based in Chicago, but also cover defense and veterans, of course. Is that your primary beat? My primary my primary beat is uh, is general assignment news. Um, so I'm a Midwest correspondent. Is the sort is my my technical title, but because of the. I think because of the unique knowledge base that I bring, the sourcing that I've cultivated, and uh, just knowing, knowing the importance of telling, you know, telling stories about military, veteran, and defense issues, I, I do write a lot about that. Thank you, Ben Kessling, for taking the time to share your journalism and author experience with us. You are an inspiration to us all. You can follow Ben on Twitter at b Kessling. That's b k e s l i n g. You can also order his book, Bravo Company, an Afghanistan deployment and its aftermath by going to bravocompanybook.com. I am your host, Lori King, and I thank you for tuning into this episode of Sword and Pen, a production of military veterans and journalism. We work hard to get military veterans into the American newsrooms. Lori, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I very much appreciate it and keep, uh, keep on doing what you're doing. And you as well. You've been listening to Sword and Pen, a military veterans in journalism podcast.